Chapter Fifteen of Beverly of Graustark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. Beverly of Graustark by George Barr McCutcheon. Chapter Fifteen: The Testing of Baldos. A few hours later, all was dark and silent within the castle. On the stone walks below, the steady tread of sentinels rose on the still air. In the hallways, the trusted guardsmen glided about like spectres or stood like statues. An hour before, the great edifice had been bright and full of animation. Now it slumbered. It was two o'clock. The breath of roses scented the air. The gurgle of fountains was the only music that touched the ear. Beverly Calhoun, dismissing Aunt Fanny, stepped from her window out upon the great stone balcony. A rich oriental dressing-gown, loose and comfortable, was her costume. Something told her that sleep would be a long time coming, and an hour in the warm, delightful atmosphere of the night was more attractive than the close, sleepless silence of her own room. Every window along the balcony was dark, proving that the entire household had retired to rest. She was troubled. The fear had entered her head that the castle folk were regretting the advent of Baldos, that everyone was questioning the wisdom of his being in the position he occupied through her devices. Her talk with him did much to upset her tranquillity. That he knew so much of the fortress bore out the subtle suspicions of Dangloss, and perhaps others. She was troubled, not that she doubted him, but that if anything went wrong, an accusation against him, however unjust, would be difficult to overcome, and she would be to blame in a large degree. For many minutes she sat in the dark shadow of a great pillar, her elbows upon the cool balustrade, staring dreamily into the star-studded vault above. Far away in the air she could see the tiny yellow lights of the monastery, lonely sentinel on the mountain-top. From the heights near that abode of peace and penitence an enemy could destroy the fortress to the south. Had not Baldos told her so? One big gun would do the work if it could be taken to that altitude. Baldos could draw a perfect map of the fortress, he could tell precisely where the shells should fall, and already the chief men in Edelweiss were wondering who he was, and to what end he might utilise his knowledge. They were watching him, they were warning her. For the first time since she came to the castle, she felt a sense of loneliness, a certain unhappiness. She could not shake off the feeling that she was, after all, alone in her belief in Baldos. Her heart told her that the tall, straightforward fellow she had met in the hills was as honest as the day. She was deceiving him, she realised, but he was misleading no one. Off in a distant part of the castle ground she could see the long square shadow that marked the location of the barracks and mess-room. There he was sleeping, confidently believing in her and her power to save him from all harm. Something in her soul cried out to him that she would be staunch and true, and that he might sleep without a tremor of apprehensiveness. Suddenly she smiled nervously and drew back into the shadow of the pillar. It occurred to her that he might be looking across the moonlit park, looking directly at her through all that shadowy distance. She was conscious of a strange glow in her cheeks and a quickening of the blood as she pulled the folds of her gown across her bare throat. Not the moon, nor the stars, nor the light in St. Valentine's, but the black thing away off there on the earth, said a soft voice behind her, and Beverly started as if the supernatural had approached her. She turned to face the princess, who stood almost at her side. Yetive, how did you get here? That is what you are looking at, dear, went on Yetive, as if completing her charge. Why are you not in bed? And you? I thought you were sound asleep long ago, murmured Beverly, abominating the guilty feeling that came over her. The princess threw her arm about Beverly's shoulder. I have been watching you for half an hour, she said gently. Can't two look at the moon and stars as well as one? Isn't it my grim old castle? Let us sit here together, dear, and dream a while. You dear yet, Eve, and Beverly drew her down beside her on the cushions. But listen, I want you to get something out of your head. I was not looking at anything in particular. 
"'Beverly, I believe you were thinking of Baldos,' said the other, her fingers straying fondly across the girl's soft hair. "'Ridiculous,' said Beverly, conscious for the first time that he was seldom out of her thoughts. The realization came like a blow, and her eyes grew very wide out there in the darkness. "'And you are troubled on his account. I know it, dear. You—' "'Well, Yetive, why shouldn't I be worried? I brought him here against his will,' protested Beverly. "'If anything should happen to him—' she shuddered involuntarily. "'Don't be afraid, Beverly. I have as much confidence in him as you have. His eyes are true. Grenfell believes in him, too, and so does Mr. Anguish. Gren says he would swear by him, no matter who he is.' "'But the others?' Beverly whispered. "'Baron Dangloss is his friend, and so is Quinnox. They know a man. The Count is different.' "'I loathe that old wretch.' "'Hush! He has not wronged you in any way.' "'But he has been unfair and mean to Baldos. "'It is a soldier's lot, my dear.' "'But he may be Prince Danton or Frederick or the other one, don't you know?' "'argued Beverly, clenching her hands firmly. "'In that event he would be an honourable soldier, "'and we have nothing to fear in him. "'Neither of them is our enemy. "'It is the possibility that he is not one of them "'that makes his presence here look dangerous.' "'I don't want to talk about him,' said Beverly, "'but she was disappointed when the princess obligingly changed the subject.' Baldos was not surprised, scarcely more than interested, when a day or two later he was summoned to appear before the board of strategy. If anyone had told him, however, that on a recent night a pair of dreamy grey eyes had tried to find his window in the great black shadow, he might have jumped in amazement and delight. For at that very hour he was looking off toward the castle, and his thoughts were of the girl who drew back into the shadow of the pillar. The Graustark Ministry had received news from the southern frontier. Messengers came in with the alarming and significant report that Dowsbergen was strengthening her fortifications in the passes, and moving war supplies northward. It meant that Gabriel and his people expected a fight and were preparing for it. Count Halfont hastily called the ministers together, and Lorry and the princess took part in their deliberations. General Marlanx represented the army, and it was he who finally asked to have Baldos brought before the council. The Iron Count plainly intimated that the new guard was in a position to transmit valuable information to the enemy. Colonel Quinnox sent for him, and Baldos was soon standing in the presence of Yetive and her advisers. He looked about him with a singular smile. The one whom he was supposed to regard as the princess was not in the council chamber. Lorry opened the examination at the request of Count Halfont, the premier. Baldos quietly answered the questions concerning his present position, his age, his term of enlistment, and his interpretations of the obligations required of him. "'Ask him who he really is,' suggested the Iron Count sarcastically. "'We can expect but one answer to that question,' said Lorry, "'and that is the one which he chooses to give.' "'My name is Baldos, Paul Baldos,' said the guard, "'but he said it in such a way that no one could mistake his appreciation of the fact "'that he could give one name as well as another and still serve his own purposes.' "'That is lie number one,' observed Marlanx loudly. "'Every eye was turned upon Baldos, but his face did not lose its half-mocking expression of serenity.' "'Proceed with the examination, Mr. Lorry,' said Count Halfont, interpreting a quick glance from Yetive. "'Are you willing to answer any and all questions we may ask in connection with your observations, since you became a member of the Castle Guard?' asked Lorry. "'I am.' "'Did you take especial care to study the interior of the fortress when you were there several days ago?' "'I did.' "'Have you discussed your observations with anyone since that time?' "'I have.' "'With whom?' "'With Her Highness, the Princess,' said Baldos, without a quiver.' There was a moment's silence, and furtive looks were cast in the direction of Yetive, whose face was a study. Almost instantaneously, the entire body of listeners understood that he referred to Beverly Calhoun. Baldos felt that he had been summoned before the board at the instigation of his fair protectress. "'And your impressions have gone no further?' "'They have not, sir. It was most confidential.' "'Could you accurately reproduce the plans of the fortress?' "'I think so. It would be very simple.' "'Have you studied engineering?' "'Yes.' 
and you could scientifically enumerate the defects in the construction of the fort, it would not be very difficult, sir. It has come to our ears that you consider the fortress weak in several particulars. Have you so stated at any time? I told the princess that the fortress is deplorably weak. In fact, I think I mentioned that it could be taken with ease. He was not looking at Count Marlanx, but he knew that the old man's eyes were flaming. Then he proceeded to tell the board how he could overcome the fortress, elaborating on his remarks to Beverly. The ministers listened in wonder to the words of this calm, indifferent young man. "'Will you oblige us by making a rough draft of the fort's interior?' asked Lorry, after a solemn pause. Baldos took the paper, and in remarkably quick time drew the exact lay of the fortress. The sketch went the rounds, and apprehensive looks were exchanged by the ministers. "'It is accurate, by Jove!' exclaimed Lorry. "'I doubt if a dweller in the fort could do better. You must have been very observing.' "'And very much interested,' snarled Marlanx. "'Only so far as I imagined my observations might be of benefit to someone else,' said Baldos coolly. Again the silence was like death." "'Do you know what you are saying, Baldos?' asked Lorry, after a moment. "'Certainly, Mr. Lorry. It is the duty of any servant of Her Highness to give her all that he has in him. If my observations can be of help to her, I feel in duty bound to make the best of them for her sake, not for my own.' "'Perhaps you can suggest modifications in the fort,' snarled Marlanx. "'Why don't you do it, sir, and let us have the benefit of your superior intelligence? "'No, gentlemen, all this prating of loyalty need not deceive us,' he cried, springing to his feet. "'The fellow is nothing more nor less than an infernal spy, and the tower is the place for him. "'He can do no harm there.' "'If it were my intention to do harm, gentlemen, do you imagine that I should withhold my information for days?' asked Baldos. "'If I am a spy, you may rest assured that Count Marlanx's kindnesses should not have been so long disregarded. A spy does not believe in delays.' "'My—my my kindnesses?' cried Marlanx. "'What do you mean, sir?' "'I mean this. Count Marlanx,' said Baldos, looking steadily into the eyes of the head of the army, "'it was kind and considerate of you to admit me to the fortress, no matter in what capacity, especially at a critical time like this.' You did not know me, you had no way of telling whether my intentions were honest or otherwise, and yet I was permitted to go through the fort from end to end. No spy could wish for greater generosity than that. An almost imperceptible smile went round the table, and every listener but one breathed more freely. The candour and boldness of the guard won the respect and confidence of all except Marlanx. The Iron Count was white with anger. He took the examination out of Lorry's hands and plied the stranger with insulting questions, each calm answer making him more furious than before. At last, in sheer impotence, he relapsed into silence, waving his hand to Lorry to indicate that he might resume. "'You will understand, Baldos, that we have some cause for apprehension,' said Lorry, immensely gratified by the outcome of the tilt. "'You are a stranger, and whether you admit it or not, there is reason to believe that you are not what you represent yourself to be.' "'I am a humble guard at present, sir, and a loyal one. My life is yours, should I prove otherwise.' Yetive whispered something in Lorry's ear at this juncture. She was visibly pleased and excited. He looked doubtful for an instant, and then apparently followed her suggestion, regardless of consequences. "'Would you be willing to utilise your knowledge as an engineer by suggesting means to strengthen the fortress?' The others stared in fresh amazement. Marlanx went as white as death. "'Never!' he blurted out hoarsely. "'I will do anything the princess commands me to do,' said Baldos easily. "'You mean that you serve her only?' "'I serve her first, sir. If she were here she could command me to die, and there would be an end to Baldos.' And he smiled as he said it. The real princess looked at him with a new, eager expression, as if something had just become clear to her. There was a chorus of coughs and a round of sly looks. "'She could hardly ask you to die,' said Yetive, addressing him for the first time. "'A princess is like April weather, madam,' said Baldos, with rare humour, and the laugh was general. Yetive resolved to talk privately with this excellent wit before the hour was over. She was confident that he knew her to be the princess.' 
"'I would like to ask the fellow another question,' said Marlanx, fingering his sword-hilt nervously. "'You say you serve the princess. Do you mean by that that you imagine your duties as a soldier to comprise dancing polite attendance within the security of these walls?' "'I believe I enlisted as a member of the castle guard, sir. The duty of the guard is to protect the person of the ruler of Graustark, and to do that to the death.' "'It is my belief that you are a spy. You can show evidence of good faith by enlisting to fight against Dalsbergen and by shooting to kill,' said the Count, with a sinister gleam in his eye. "'And if I decline to serve in any other capacity than the one I now, then I shall brand you as a spy and a coward. You have already called me a spy, Your Excellency. It will not make it true, let me add, if you call me a coward. I refuse to take up arms against either Dalsbergen or Axvane.' The remark created a profound sensation. "'Then you are employed by both instead of one,' shouted the Iron Count gleefully. "'I am employed as a guard for Her Royal Highness,' said Baldos, with a square glance at Yetive, "'and not as a fighter in the ranks. I will fight till death for her, but not for Graustark.'" End of chapter 15